Let's start then. Heavenly Father, thank you for the time and just uh, the excitement to be able to get into a new book here and see what you have to say. And we ask for your blessing upon us in all ways and all things. In your name, amen. It is always uh, exciting and nerve-wracking at the same time to start a new book uh, because the book I'm always going through, I always think this is like the best book that we've ever gone through. Right now on Sundays, I think Proverbs is just the most fun. And I dreaded going into Proverbs, and then I absolutely loved it. And I thought the study that we just did in the life of David and Psalms, I absolutely loved it. God's Word is so good. So Joshua is what we're going to be getting into. And the reason is sometimes I dislike picking a new book is no matter what book you pick, there's always somebody that groans about it. Like there's a book in the Bible that's bad or something like that. Like someone's always like, oh, I don't like doing the Old Testament stuff. Or are we always in the New Testament? Isn't there something? I'm telling you right now, if you've never studied out the book of Joshua, Joshua is not boring in any way whatsoever. And it's probably, I think, in the Old Testament, one of the most exciting books of just the stories that you go through and the passages that you see. Joshua has so much in it that I don't think we really understand it's in Joshua. The fall of Jericho is in Joshua. You know, Rahab, the uh, harlot there, helping them escape is in Joshua. That great verse says, for me and my house we will serve the Lord. That's in Joshua. Um, some wonderful passages here in Joshua. And it's actually a quick book. It's a longer book, but it's quick in the way it goes through. And it's not like an Isaiah where you're constantly talking about, oh, God's angry about this now, but he still loves you. You know, Joshua is this great story and... It just really flows through. It has the military part of it. It has the history part of it. It has the spiritual part of it. And it's just really a wonderful book, and I think you'll really be blessed by it as we go through it. So without much further ado, Joshua. Now, before we get into Joshua here, and you guys can go ahead and, uh, uh, Miles, if you want to, go ahead and put that up. Just a couple quick little slides here. I was going to make a sheet out for it, and I thought it's just simpler to do it this way. You guys can take notes if you want. A couple things here about Joshua that I wanted to share before we get in, because we know the name, we know the character, but a lot of background about him. Because really, once you get into the rest of this book, the beginning of it, you really get to see a lot of who he is and what's going on with him. So what we're going to do here is I just have a couple quick references that I want to share about Joshua then. So first one you can see here, I'll wait till he gets this up there. Look at that verse. This is the description of Joshua from Numbers 32.12. Joshua, the son of Nun, wholly followed the Lord. Now, if I die and people can say that about me, I'm thrilled. What a great description to give of somebody, to say that they wholly followed the Lord. That is amazing. And so often, if you look at my life, I maybe half-heartedly follow the Lord, partially follow the Lord, Joshua, the son of Nun, wholly followed the Lord. Beautiful thing about the book of Joshua is Joshua makes some pretty big leadership mistakes. It's in there, but that's the beauty of the Bible. The truth is in there, the mistakes are in there, but God's love is always in there too. So the first thing you need to know about Joshua, he was quite the man of God. Quite the man of God. Go ahead and go to the next one here, Miles. A little bit of his background. And we're going to start at the beginning. First description of Joshua is found in Exodus 17.9. He is led to go fight the Amalekites. So Joshua's first role in the Bible, he was a warrior. He was a military leader. He was used by God to go fight. Now, I like this. And I, what I put here is little things that we can apply to us as well. We're generally not asked to go physically fight. But we're asked to spiritually fight in everything we say and do. One thing I think the body of Christ forgets is that you're in a battle every single day of your life. And there's a reason why God calls the Bible a sword. There's a reason why God says, I'm your shield and your strength. There's a reason why in Ephesians 6, he goes through the armor of God. You are in a fight. 
And what happens is sometimes Christians call me up saying, well, I can't believe this is going on, I can't believe this is happening, and they feel like a whipped puppy. Well, they feel like a whipped puppy because they walk down to the world without their armor of God on. Well, of course you're going to get shot at. That's what the enemy does. And some of you right now, it is a struggle where you're at in your life. It is a struggle just to be here tonight. It's going to be a struggle to get up tomorrow. Why? Because you're in the middle of a fight. No one wants to be in a battle. Joshua's first role, he was a warrior. He was a fighter. He proved himself on the battlefield. And God has asked you and I to prove ourselves on the spiritual battlefield. Will we stay focused? Look at the next one here. He was an assistant. Exodus 24, 13. After he was the warrior... He moved up to, if you will, the assistant pastor job to Moses. He was Moses' right-hand man. And so what happens is, he's a servant. Now, I like this. Because sometimes what happens as Christians, we reach a point of maturity, we reach a point of walking with the Lord, where things are now below us. And that's never supposed to be the case. We serve in whatever capacity God has called us, whenever he calls us, with whoever he calls us, however he calls us. And Joshua proved himself being the servant to Moses. Now, all this stuff is building up later on. And I don't want to let too much out now, but I have to. Because when Joshua now becomes the leader of Israel, what's he going to do? The book of Joshua is all about the military. He's taking over the promised land. So he needed to know how to fight. He's now going to be the general in the book of Joshua. Well, he had to be the book private first. Number two, he's going to serve Moses, so that way he knows leadership. And as he serves with Moses, he's going to realize what it means for him to be a leader. Look at the next one here. Look at that verse in Exodus 33, 11. His servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, did not depart from the tabernacle. I don't want to add too much to the scriptures, but it seems like when Joshua was not out fighting, not out helping Moses, he just hung around the tabernacle. That's a pretty cool thing. And I put the aspect of church up there because it seems like the longer we go in society, the more and more I run into people that tell me how they're Christians, but they're Christians that don't see the importance of being in the body and being in the fellowship. And I think with Joshua, you see a man that was focused on the tabernacle. Now, you can go deeper with this. Tabernacle in the Old Testament was the actual presence of God. That's where the Ark of the Covenant was. You can make a point that Joshua wanted to be near the Lord from that perspective. Either way you look at it, Joshua was spiritually focused. So look at the description of this guy. He's a warrior, he's a servant, and he's spiritually focused on the Lord. Go ahead and go to the next slide here, Miles. Three other things about him. Go, if you will, to uh, Numbers 11.28. Sometimes people come up to me and ask me, how do you know the Bible's true? And one of the things that I like to say about the Bible is, I believe the Bible's true because if the Bible was truly written by man, mankind would not put their mistakes in there. Joshua made some mistakes. Numbers 11. Um, Let's go ahead here in Numbers 11. Let's go ahead and pick it up in verse 27. Verse 27 says, And a young man ran and told Moses and said, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, one of his choice men answered and said, Moses, my Lord, forbid them. I find this funny. This is your first battle, if you will, between Pentecostals and non-Pentecostals here. You know, you got prophecy. Oh, no. See, Joshua's forbid them. They they can't do that. Look at Moses' response. Wisdom, verse 20, and Moses said to him, Are you zealous for my sake? Oh, that all the Lord's people were prophets, and the Lord would put his spirit upon them. And Moses returned to the camp before he and the elders of Israel. I like this verse because you see Joshua at this point. He's still young. He's still learning. He's still serving. But he also learns from his mistakes. 
I, I will tell you right now, I have probably messed up more out here than I've done right. And sometimes you learn from that, and other times you're too bullheaded not to learn from it. Joshua was wrong on this part, and I don't mean that to attack on him, but obviously it's something that he learns about. And I like that because here's a man that learns from his mistakes. We're going to get to in a few chapters here in the book of Joshua. He really messes something up pretty big time with the Gibeonites. But he learns from that mistake. And so as you go through these books, and if you're like me sometimes, you read about these guys and you're like, man, I never could be like him. I never could be like her. Why? I mess up. Joshua messed up. We can learn from that. And we learn from our mistakes and move on. Now, stay here in Numbers and go to Numbers 14. Now, a little bit of background here in Numbers 13 and 14. As they got near the Promised Land, if you, some of you remember the story, they sent out spies into the Promised Land to check out the Promised Land. This is the area God gave them. Well, Caleb and Joshua are the only spies that came back saying, we can do this. We can take this land in God's name. All the other spies came back and said, the people are too big. They're giants in the land. They're too powerful. We can't do this. So Moses then comes and says, well, we're going to do this. Well, then Israel rebels. And so you have this situation going on here in Numbers 13 and 14 where all of Israel is saying, wait a second, we can't do this. And you really only have Joshua, Caleb, Moses, and Aaron saying, we're going to still go in and do this. You know, we joked earlier about the first Pentecostal, non-Pentecostal. So here's your first church split if you want to look at it from that perspective. But look at what Joshua does here. Verse four, excuse me, verse 1 of chapter 14. So all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried, and the people wept that night. And all the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron. Now, we don't complain in churches anymore, do we? And the whole congregation said to them, If only we had died in the land of Egypt. If only we had died in this wilderness. Why has the Lord brought us to this land to fall by the sword that our wives and children should become victims? Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? Now, I have to stop here for a second. You've probably heard me make this point before. What were they in Egypt? Slaves. Slaves that were being mistreated. Slaves that were being tortured. Slaves that were being beaten. In verse 3, they want to go back to that? Do you know anybody that sometimes lets emotion get the best of them when it comes to things? I know people like that. They get one bad day and it's like, oh, my life is horrible. Oh, everything's falling apart. I've had people call me up before, my life is so bad, I wish I was just dead. What you have here in Israel, these people are being run by emotion. Verse 4, so they said to one another, let us select a leader and return to Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the children of Israel. But Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes, which was a sign of repentance, and they spoke to all the congregation of Israel, saying, The land we pass through to spy out is exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, then he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord. No fear the people of the land, for they are our bread. Their protection has departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. And all the congregation said to stone them with stones. He was willing to take a stand for the truth. That's right. Now, I'm willing to bet that you're not going to run into people that are going to want to pick up stones and throw them at you. But you are going to run into somebody at school tomorrow. You're going to run into somebody at work that doesn't like Christianity. And the longer and harder you make a stand, they're not going to like it. Joshua proved himself that he was willing to take a stand and make a stand for what was right no matter what. 
Now when it says here in verse 1 that all the congregation was against them, what does that mean? Does it mean all? If it means all, at this time most commentators believe there's probably about 3 million Jews. So we don't know for sure if everybody was against them, we don't know. But the best as we can tell, it's about 3 million versus 4. Now those really aren't good odds. Joshua was willing to stand up and say, you're wrong, God's right, and through God we can do this. One of the toughest things to do in life is to take a stand when everybody else thinks you're wrong. Now, the only thing about this is just make sure you're standing at the truth. I've seen people take stands for things and they're wrong. And they're so stubborn to not let go of that. Well, Joshua knew he was right. He was willing to take that stand. He was willing to go up, basically put his life on the line here for the Lord. That's a pretty neat thing. And we go to the last one here. We don't need to turn there. But it says in Numbers 27, 18, that he was filled with the Spirit. Now, if you look at this description, this is a pretty good leader in training. He's a warrior. He's a servant, focused on God, learning and willing to make mistakes. He's willing to take a stand, and he's filled with the Spirit. That's a pretty good guy. And you know what? If you remember your story here, that uh, when the nation of Israel whined and complained against the Lord, basically what happened is they all had to wander out here and wait till the next generation came up, hence they wandered for 40 years. Joshua was one. Joshua and Caleb were the only ones that were born in Egypt that got to come through that full time. So Joshua at this point, we don't know how old he was, but we know he wandered for 40 years and he was a young man when he came out of Egypt. We don't know. Maybe by the time the book of Joshua comes around, he could have maybe been about 60 years old here. He had been in Egypt. He knew what it was like to be a slave. He saw what God did with the plagues. He saw what God did in the wilderness. And during that 40 years of wilderness, God prepared him and trained him and raised him up to take over this group of people. Miles, you can go ahead and shut down the uh, screen up there now. So, with that being said now, back in Joshua chapter 1, God had prepared him. Now, real quick point before we get into this. Some of you may be in a wilderness time right now. And you're really getting sick and tired of being in the wilderness. And you're really tired of just the spiritual, physical, and emotional heartache and pain that you're going through. It just seems like trial after trial, problem after problem, and you are in the midst of a rebellious, complaining people. God is saying, I'm using this time to prepare you for something bigger and better. If Joshua never would have went through any of those things, he would not be able to be the leader that God called him to be at the time of Joshua chapter 1. Those trials and tribulations prepared him and made him to where he was supposed to be. That's why it's important to go back and look at this. Because if you just start in Joshua 1, you're like, okay, Joshua, great guy. Yeah, but if you go study out what he did for that 40 years, you saw God building him, preparing him, and giving him more and more leadership. The Bible says, to whom much is given, much is required. So therefore, if you are desiring to serve the Lord in a greater capacity, and I don't mean for your own pride, but you want to serve the Lord, be prepared to prove yourself in the little things. And as you prove yourself in the little things, God will keep blessing you and blessing you and blessing you. Now Joshua is, has always been very near and dear to my heart because I always felt I could relate to Joshua, not because he's good and I'm good. I don't mean it that way in any way whatsoever. But... About, uh, it's hard to believe, I was actually figuring this up when I was picking this book, it's getting harder to find books to go through. Um, I don't know how many of you remember this, but I started teaching the Wednesday Night Studies back in uh, 97. So I've been doing the Wednesday Night Studies out here for 13 years. And I try not to repeat books. You know, every now and then we have to repeat one because the Lord leads. But so it's kind of like, okay, Lord, we've gone through a lot of books here, and we've never gone through Joshua. 
But one of the things here about Joshua that always rests in my heart is uh, 10 years ago when uh, Jim stepped down and uh, you know, I ended up coming out here as a pastor, is we, I can remember at one of the board meetings that we were sitting there talking and we kind of said, boy, you know, Jim, you know, so such a charismatic leader, everybody loved him. You know, the, the only pastor the church knew that, you know, boy, when Jim steps down, you know, he's probably said, boy, about half the church is probably going to go and look for something different. And I remember when, you know, we announced that Jim was stepping down and then about, you know, a few weeks later they announced that I was going to be taking over. Um, surprisingly, everybody stayed. And I don't know why, but they stayed. And they kind of still keep staying. And I'm really happy about that. I still think people are going to disappear one of these Sundays. But the point is, why did it stick around? Not because I'm great, not because I'm wonderful, but very simply put, hopefully the same spirit that led Jim as pastor is the same spirit that's going to lead whatever pastor comes after him. It's the Holy Spirit that does the leading. It's not the person. And whenever it's time for me to die or step down, whoever comes in after me, the same Holy Spirit's going to lead and guide them. So the same Holy Spirit that led Moses is the same Holy Spirit that led Joshua. That's the whole point of this. And there's those great passages there where it says, God says, I raised up Moses, I'll raise up Joshua. So what do we always say out here? Nobody is irreplaceable. The only thing irreplaceable in the body of Christ is Christ. Everything else can be irreplaced. So Colossians 1.18 says that Christ is the head of the church. He's the leader. And so what you see here in Moses to Joshua, Moses was an amazing leader. He led these people for 40 years. He was so amazed, amazing of a person, of what God did and, and everything like that. Joshua had huge shoes to fill. And I, my personal opinion, we'll talk about this as we get into this a little bit more, I, I think Joshua probably thought, I, I can't do this. You know, Joshua got to go up on the mountain with Moses when Moses got the Ten Commandments. Joshua got to see all these things. And I bet you Joshua probably thought, man, I can't do that. I can't. And that's why I think it's very interesting. We're only going to do the first nine verses here in chapter 1 because chapter 10 starts a little bit different story. But three times, and from verses 6 through 9, God tells Joshua, be strong and of good courage. Personal opinion, take it or leave it. Why did God tell Joshua to be strong and of good courage? Because maybe Joshua wasn't strong and maybe he didn't have a lot of courage. Because maybe Joshua said, I have to inherit three million people and their problems and their whining and their complaining. I have to inherit these people that consistently, constantly rebelled against God. I have to inherit these people that Moses was this great leader that they loved and adored and I'm just Joshua. I think he had a pretty tough uh, thing here to do. And it's amazing how when you start here in Joshua 1... Look how God does this. Verse 1 of Joshua 1. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, I always found verse 2 kind of harsh. No love lost. Moses is dead. Time to move on. But you know the truth of the matter from God's perspective? Moses is up with the Lord now. God's not missing Moses. Now, the nation of Israel is mourning and mourning over the death of Moses. If you look here at the end of chapter uh, 34 of Deuteronomy, they missed Moses weeping and mourning him. It went on and on and on. I think, what does it say here? Um, I'm looking here in uh, Deuteronomy 34. It says in verse 8, And the children of Israel wept for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days. So the days of weeping and mourning for Moses ended. Imagine having 30 days where people said, we're going to weep and mourn for you. Well, from God's perspective, Moses is dead. Let's move on. 
Now, I, I, like I said, that sounds a little harsh, but from the Lord, Moses is still there. Moses is alive in the Spirit. I mean, he has this eternal salvation with the Lord. From our perspective, don't we do that a lot? Don't we focus so much on the dead in the sense of that person is gone? Oh, it hurts. We've all lost loved ones. But really, from God's perspective, that person is born again and saved. It says in Psalm 116, precious in the eyes of God is the death of one of his saints. That's a beautiful thing. You know, and you probably got that prayer request that came through today, a very horrible, tragic prayer request of the four-month-old child that suffocated and died. And it's a horrible prayer request. And, I mean, it was just, it just sinks. And, you know, we know the grandparents. That's how we got it. And Pastor Rich was talking to the grandparents, and the grandparents are born again and saved. And obviously there's a lot of heartache and there's a lot of pain, but the grandparents said, we, we know where that baby's at. We know where it's at. See, that's the peace that God gives. So Moses is dead, but Moses is still alive. That's the beautiful part about it. Verse 2, Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all the people, to the land which I am giving to them, the children of Israel. Every place the sole of your foot will tread upon I have given you, as I said to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites and the great sea, towards going down to the sun shall be your territory. No man should be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. Now, how can that be? Because the same spirit that led Moses is the same spirit that led Joshua. The same promises that God gave Israel are the same promises that God gave Moses and Joshua. That's the beautiful part about it. Now, you've got to think from Israel's perspective at this time. They're ready to go into the promised land. And I know we stop and think, oh, finally, the promised land. The promised land is full of enemies that don't want to give up the promised land. These guys are getting ready to go into years of battle taking these fortified cities out. That's probably not something they were really looking forward to. So when you look at Joshua 1, you have Joshua replacing the greatest leader Israel had known, the, the freer of the slaves. You have Joshua inheriting all these problems with three million people. You have Joshua having to do this. You have Joshua having to lead them in battle. That's why in verse 6, be strong and of good courage. For to this people you shall divide in inheritance the land which I swore to them, their fathers, to give them. Only be strong and very courageous. See, God keeps repeating this. That you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may prosper wherever you go. This book of law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Now, from here on then, look at verse 10. And Joshua commanded. He takes over. And verse 10 now starts the rest of the book of Joshua. But before we can get to Joshua commanding the people in verse 10, we need to know his background. We need to know how he prepared himself and how God raised this young man up from a slave in Egypt to now be the next ruler of Israel. We need to realize the spiritual part of this. He was the warrior. He was the assistant. He was focused on God. He was the servant. He was strong in the Lord. He was filled with the Spirit. But yet, how did he get through daily? He got through daily, and you find the answers in verses 7, 8, and 9. I would make an argument that Joshua 1, 7, 8, and 9 could be argumentably three of the most important verses you'll ever read on day-to-day -day living in the Lord. I, I feel that strongly about those verses. Because when you break down Joshua 1, 7 through 9, God tells you how to get through a day. How do you get through the day? Verse 7, 
What are we supposed to do? How are we supposed to be strong and of good courage in verse 6? Well, verse 7 answers it. It's the word. That you may be observed to do all a law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. It's the word. And you know what? How many times have you heard that coming out here? It's God's word. It's God's word. I was talking to another Calvary Chapel pastor today, and we were talking about how other churches pop up, and other churches preach this, and other churches preach that. But there's something beautiful just about you just preach the word. And you just encourage the people, get into the Word. You will never waste any time being in God's Word. So you get into the Word, you observe it though. See, that's the thing. A lot of people get into the Word. And you've heard me say this, they treat it like homework, they treat it like they have to. They come on a Sunday, they come on a Wednesday, not really paying attention. They don't pay attention, they don't observe it in verse 7. Look what you're supposed to do. Do not turn to the right hand or to the left. It is a focused life you have. Your life is focused on Christ and Christ alone. There are going to be distractions on the left and there's going to be distractions on the right that want to pull you away from that. But you seek first the kingdom of God, the Bible says, and you do this by observing the word. That's what you got to do. And even one step further, verse 8, the book of law shall not depart from your mouth. Meditate in it. Observe it. If you're taking notes, three things in verse 8. The first one is, it's your mouth. Meaning that you should speak the word. This book of law should not depart from your mouth. You should speak the word. If you have kids at home, you teach them the scriptures. If you're married, you use the word in your marriage. If you're at work, you use the word in your witnessing. It's the word. It's a weapon. It's a sword. And so often Christians don't know God's word, so they don't know how to use their sword in battle. Or they try to use the sword and it's really clumsy. We need to know the Word. We need to know how to speak it and use it. The next one, you meditate on it day and night. You think about it. Great passage here, and if you're taking notes, write it down. Philippians 4, 6-8. We all know the first part about be anxious for nothing. But verse 8 talks about we're supposed to dwell on these things. See, when you're going through tough times, you're supposed to dwell on it. I don't know how many times I've shared with people and myself, if you're going through a tough time, grab the Bible and read Psalm 40. That encouragement there, you meditate on it, you chew on it. And why do you chew on it? Look at the last one. So you can observe to do according to all that's written in it. So then you can live it. You want to speak it, you want to think about it, and then you want to live it. And I'm telling you right now, if you make God's word that part of your life, where you speak it, you think it, and you live it, what's the result of that going to be? Look at the end of verse 8. It will make your way prosperous. You have good success. Note, it does not say you will have prosperity. It says you will be prosperous. There's a big difference there. Some people want prosperity. They equate, I read, I study, I live the Christian walk, so therefore I get wealth and whatever. I'm not promising you prosperity. I'm promising you that you'll be prosperous. You'll be prosperous for the kingdom of God. God will use you mightily to further the kingdom of God. I have no idea what your finances will be, but God will use you mightily. For the kingdom of God. And when you die and go to heaven, you will be wealthy in riches of the Lord. That's what it means to be prosperous. Well, good success. It's not promising you good business success. I don't know what your business success will be, but I know that you'll have good spiritual success if you follow the Lord. You will be blessed. See, that's the promise of that. So when I run into somebody who wants, let's just go backwards in verse 8. They want good success and they want prosperous. Okay, then let's go backwards. What do they have to do? Well, they have to observe. Well, how do I know what I'm supposed to observe? Let's go back one step because I meditate in the Word. And as I meditate in the Word, I speak it. I live it. Verse 8 of Joshua 1.8 could be one of the most important verses you will ever read on day-to-day living 
as a Christian. And he repeats in verse 9, Have I not commanded you, be strong and of good courage? Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. It's a scary thing to live the Christian life. It really is. Because when you live the Christian life, you're declaring war on the enemy. And to be quite honest with you, billions of people in the world are not going to like you for being a Christian. See, we like to think of us as Christians still being the bread and butter of the nation. But the truth of the matter is, as Christians, we're, we're pretty much so in the minority a lot of the times. I mean, solid Christians. We're in the minority a lot of the times to really make a stand for the truth. And that's why God says you need to be strong and have good courage, not be afraid nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Once again, I'm going to throw my opinion out here. Why did God keep telling Joshua to be strong and of good courage? Because I'm wondering if maybe Joshua wasn't of strong and good courage. I look at Joshua's position, and I'd be like, I would not want to be the leader of Israel in Joshua chapter 1. I would not want to be. I wouldn't mind being the leader of Israel maybe right between David and Solomon. That was a pretty good time for Israel. But right here in Joshua 1, this is a problem that no one would want to inherit. But how could Joshua do it? Because he was strong and of good courage in the Lord, in the Word, being a part of it. If you do not have a regular time of just spending time with God in His Word or in prayer, I encourage you, start that tonight. Grab one of those Our Daily Breads. If nothing else, just read ahead what we do. Read Proverbs 11, which we're going to get to on Sunday. Read the rest of Joshua 1 and 2, which we're going to get into next week. Find something. You will be blessed by it. Because when you take that time and you say, Lord, I want to meditate on Your Word, I want to focus on what Your Word has to say, you will be blessed by doing it. And Joshua... I'm telling you right now, if you say, my life is busy, my life is busy with four little ones at home, with, with church and everything, my life is busy. It sometimes finds it's hard to get time for God's word. Joshua was in charge of three million people. Okay, He was busier than we could ever imagine. He found time to be in the word, and God blessed him for that. I encourage you to do that just as well, too. So I believe you'll be blessed here by Joshua. It's a wonderful book, a wonderful example of being a man and woman of God and getting out there and truly living the life and being in the fight. Let's not forget this, guys. You and I are in a fight every day of our lives. It's easy to give up. It is really easy to give up. But God says, stay strong and be of good courage. I'll get you through it. Does anybody have any final questions comments here? Kathy. What's that? Oh, him and Caleb. Yeah, him and Caleb. Caleb and Joshua were the only ones, like I said, that came out of Egypt. So by the time you get to Joshua 1, uh, that generation that came out of Egypt that whined and complained have all passed away. So the, what you have here in Joshua 1 is the second generation. Yeah, he definitely would have been, him and Caleb would have definitely been the oldest people. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's a beautiful formula. Of, if I spend time in the Word and prayer, good, honest time in the Word and prayer, the Lord blesses it. It, it just works. It's a promise. It's a promise. And that's a good point, too. Yeah, Joshua 1.8, if you get a chance, read Psalm 1. Great Psalm there, too, that goes right along with Joshua 1.8. Yeah, Howard. On the fifth verse, mm -hmm. if he was listening like us, we don't listen. He says, let me find it. <laughs> he says, as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. Mm -hmm. I will never leave you nor forsake you. He was new on the job, mm -hmm. scared him to death. But he just listened to those words right there. Yeah. Confidence. 
Yeah, it is. It's, it's basically God is saying, I'm going to lead you. I'm going to tell you what to do. I'm going to direct your path. If you just listen to me, it's going to be okay. But like you said, how often do we just not listen to what he has to say? God never leaves us orphans. He will not do that. He'll never leave us stranded. He will always guide and direct us. He will. Anybody else have anything to say here before we close up? Yeah, Mark. Yeah. That's that's a good point. Uh, I believe it does. Uh, Revelation, yeah. Um, is that Revelation four? I believe it is, um, where it talks about uh, the cowardly, and part of being of the Lord is that when God says go, we need to obey and go, and um, it, it's tough. There is a fear, and I'll be the first one to say this. Sometimes there is fear in your walk with the Lord of, Lord, if I say the wrong thing, or Lord, if I say this, they're not going to like it. Lord, if I make this decision or whatever. And sometimes it's easier to stay in the foxhole where God says, no, I want you out in the fight. And as you're in the fight, that's when the blessings happen. It really is. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I want to make sure... Yeah, and now I would encourage people to go with the full context of that there, and that I believe once again is Revelation four. I believe it is. Like I said, I'm just kind of off the top of my head there, but get the full context of it because you know what? I'm going to tell you right now. There's been times where I've been a coward for the Lord. I have, and there's times you look at great men and women of the Lord have been cowards. Gideon was hiding when God called him to a service. But here's the thing is when you have faith, eventually you do get out of the foxhole in the trench and you say, Lord, I want this. I really want to get out there and serve you and love you. There's times where I should have made a bigger stand and the Lord knows that, but that's the beautiful thing about it. He says, James, I'm going to give you another shot, give you another opportunity. And that's the thing about it. But Joshua did have a choice here at the end of verse 9. And that's why I think it's so important to look at 10 than Joshua commanded. Joshua could have sat there at the end of verse 9 and said, thanks, but no thanks. He went out in verse 10 and then did it. He started leading in verse 10. Anybody else got anything to say here before we close up? All righty. Let's have a word of prayer then. Lord, as we just come to you now, we thank you for this time. And Lord, I pray that, uh, Lord, I pray that we could be like Joshua, who, uh, Lord, was trying to be like you. Lord, we want to wholly serve you. I just, that verse keeps coming back to me, Lord. We want to wholly serve you, wholeheartedly serve you in all ways and all things. Help us to be a body of Christ, to be men and women of God that are in the word, meditating on it, chewing on it, spending time with you, being lights and witnesses in all we do and say. We lift this up in your name. Amen. You guys have a good week.